promised, Lord willing, we will complete Jude today. This past week, I was uh, kind of scrolling through, spending, wasting a little time, and there is a um, couple of gentlemen who have a, a YouTube channel uh, that my children had introduced me years ago. My youngest kid, uh, Gabe, had introduced me, and it's called Good Mythical Morning. And he said, Dad, you got to watch this show. He said, man, these guys are awesome. And he said, and they're, they're good Christian men, and, and said that, um, you know, it's good, wholesome things, and they just, they're, they're really funny, and they do some really neat things on their their show, and so several years ago, I began to watch these guys. Their name is Rhett and Link, and um, and for years I've watched Rhett and Link, and and they, you know, they done funny stuff. They're always, they just do crazy thing. It's more geared towards the younger crowd, but you know, I'm young at heart, so I enjoyed watching them. And uh, boy, I've been watching them, and and pretty faithful. Well, I noticed here. Over the past, about the past six months, that, that their videos are starting to pop up more on my Facebook feed. And, and I'd, I'd watch several of them. They'll do different challenges like, you know, eating hot peppers. And they'll do, it's just, it's just silly stuff. And, and, uh, and there was a couple of times that throughout the years as I watched them that just every now and again I would come across one of their videos that I would be like, mm, you know, they might be pushing the limits on that one. But not very often. Usually they were very wholesome, very family-friendly videos. And this past week, as I was studying this, this last message of Jude, I, one of their videos popped up, and I just kind of clicked on it and was, was sitting there watching it. And... Uh, as I was listening to Rhett, and this was just a podcast video. They weren't doing anything but just talking, and they were talking about their lives and everything. And, and Rhett said something that caught my attention that caused me to scroll back to kind of listen to it again. And I even scrolled back, and, and they had the closed captioning underneath it, and I even read the bottom to make sure that I understood exactly what he said. And what he said was that I deconstructed my former faith. And I didn't finish watching that, and I sent that video over to Gabe, and I sent it to Melissa, and video, and, and Gabe texted me back, and he said, yeah. He said they actually did a three-podcast deal talking about how they had walked away from their Christian faith and they were no longer believers in Christ. And he told me, he said, you know, he said, Dad, I've kind of been noticing here lately that some of their videos have been a little edgy. They've been kind of pushing the envelope. And I said, well, I guess it's a lot more profitable not to be a Christian these days than it is. And he said, well, he said, one of the reasons that they said that they had, had 
deconstructed, that's the word he used, deconstructed their Christian faith was because of the LGBTQ and how that they felt that the Christian faith was unkind to the LGBTQ community. And you know, for some reason, that has really bothered me. You know, I've, I've been in this Christian faith for almost 30 years. I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen a lot of people who at one point in time claimed to be Christian, who just down the road, for whatever reasons, uh, walked away from But this one really bothered me. I, it just, I was angry about it. Usually I'm heartbroken, I'm hurt, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. I was angry about this for some reason. It just made me angry. I felt deceived. I felt like for years that I had trusted these guys. I had trusted them to to entertain my children only to come out and find out that it was all a a hoax, that it was all a, 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 a play, that they were just acting. We had a young man in our in our lives for years who would come to my home. He was out at my home all the time. He was dating a young Christian lady. And, uh, man, he was on fire for God. He even had him preach at our church one time out here who not too long ago announced his deconstruction of his faith, that he was no longer a believer in Christ, no longer a follower in Christ. And we had seen some things over the years. At one point in time, he had tried to get his girlfriend to be intimate with him, and she wouldn't do it, and so he broke up with her and... So, as I said, I've seen this many times throughout my my Christian faith. Just last week, I I talked about that group of women um, from the assembly who walked away from God when when Sister Cheryl passed away. Never to step foot in church again. And that has always bothered me. It's It's always messed with my mind. Um... So this is my question. How easy is it to deconstruct your Christian faith? How easy is it? Because I watch some of these people, and it sure seems very easy to walk away from your faith. For any reason or no reason at all, just to say, you know what? I just don't believe in Jesus anymore. I just don't believe he is who he says he was. I just, I I tried this Christian thing. It didn't work for me. So there you go. I gave it a try, you know, I I put an effort into it, and it just wasn't for me. How easy is it to deconstruct your Christian faith? And as I said, in my almost 30 years as a Christian, I've seen one after another deconstruct their Christian faith in Christ. How easy is it to deconstruct your Christian faith? Coupled with this week's study of Jude, I have really been questioning whether these people were really ever Christians at all. And you know, the topic we're on today, I honestly don't know where everybody stands on this topic. I know where some stand, but I don't know where the, the, usually I have a pretty good idea of the crowd that I'm preaching to. I have a pretty good idea of what people believe what. But for this topic this morning, I really don't have a a good grasp on what people really believe. I know what I believe. 
But this week has really had me studying. It's really had me getting in deep and looking at Scripture and seeing what Scripture really said about this topic. And it all started with the beginning of Jude. And once again, one of my core beliefs was being challenged. The thing that I had believed my whole Christian faith, the whole time that I've been a believer, I've had this idea, I've had this thought, I've had this belief in my mind, and once again it's being challenged. One more time. The whole foundation of what I believed was being shaken because of the first part of Jude. Now, these are some of the thoughts that I've been having. These are some of the thoughts that have been rolling through my mind this week. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, 9, that there is nothing work-related that you can do to save yourself. It is not of works. It is of faith. By faith alone are you saved. James goes on to say that works is a natural byproduct of being a Christian. That if you're saved, you're going to do works. But there is nothing you can do that will save you. So this is my question. If we cannot earn our salvation by good works because it's a gift, can we lose our salvation because of bad works since it is a gift? If we can't earn it, can we lose it? If we can't earn it, can we reject it? And if you can, where do you draw the line? Where is enough? Where does God draw the line and say, you've gone too far, I'm going to take this away from you? Now, like many of you, my whole Christian faith, I have believed that you could forfeit your salvation. I never liked the, the word lose your salvation, but I always had this belief that you could forfeit it, that you could walk away from it, that you could reject it, that you could do this and you can do that. I'd always believed that. But see, this is the problem. When you do a verse-by-verse study, sometimes we find out that some of these beliefs that we thought were cut and dry are not so cut and dry. They're just not quite as clear as what I always thought they were. So the real question is this, and I've always challenged you. We can agree to disagree on some things, We can completely disagree on some things, but make sure that when you disagree on something, it's because you know why you disagree. It's not because that's what you've always believed. It isn't because what you've been always taught. Make sure you can defend why you believe what you believe. And I thought I had a good defense on it. Hmm. So... This is the real question. Are we willing to put our beliefs on the examination table? Are we so concerned with biblical accuracy that we are willing to reconstruct what we believe, if necessary, to line up with Scripture? 
Or are we so steeped in our former faith that no amount of evidence will ever change our minds with what we believe? You see, within the Christian faith, there are essentials and there are non-essentials. The essentials are non-negotiable. They're not debatable. They're not changeable. They're not discussable. You have to believe the essentials in order to be a Christian. That's just a fact. The non-essentials are important. Don't get me wrong. The non-essentials, I believe, are very important. And I believe that accuracy is important. We don't ever take flippantly anything that the Word of God teaches us. But although they are important, they are not salvation issues. And sometimes through exhaustive studies, we may come to different conclusions than one another. As long as we have done exhaustive studies, and that's the conclusion that we come through in our studies. When I was a a minister for the former organization that I was licensed through as a minister, I was told at one time that I was not allowed to question our beliefs. I was not allowed to have my own thoughts or to have my own ideas that this is who we are. I was literally told, you can't question that because that's who we are. And every year you had to take a survey and they would ask you those questions that they believed and you had to answer the right way or they would come and they would deal with you. They said, all that you're allowed to do is find scripture to back up what we believe. And that's it. You can't have an open mind. You can't even consider the opposing view. You have to believe what we believe in order to be a minister in our organization. And I challenged one of their beliefs one time. And I was told that I was not allowed to do that because that's who we are. So, just out of curiosity, I'm not going to ask where everybody stands on this idea, but how many of you, by a show of hands, have through Bible studies or through some type of preaching or some type of study, have changed something that you believed that you thought you knew the answer to, but through study you found out that you might have been just a little messed up? Okay, well, then that's... And, and for those that didn't raise their hands, you're either a young Christian or you figured it out right the first time. And I'm proud of you. That's good. Because, man, I'll tell you what, the more we study, and, that, and, and I, I'm, I'm being honest, as hard as it is, as hard as it is for me to challenge what I believe at times, I thank God for it. Because my heart is to be right before God. My heart is to teach what the Bible teaches and what God Means And sometimes that means I have to question what I believe. And it doesn't happen very often. This, you know, in, in the almost 12 years that we've been here, this is only about the second or third time that a belief that I've had has been challenged. And I mean challenged, shaken. I mean just 
shaken to the core. Now, a lot of my former beliefs were what they were because someone else told me that's what it was. That's because of someone else told me. And it made sense to me. I'll be honest. It just, it, what they said made sense to me. And I could find scripture to back up what I believed. And now that all of you have challenged me, and I, and I thank you for that, Once again, I have taken one of my faiths and I have put it to the test. I have re-examined scriptures and I noticed some very convincing evidences for eternal security. For eternal security of true believers, I must say. Um... And I want to cover some of these points, some of these things that I noticed as I was studying these scriptures. Hebrews 7.25, and I, and I challenge you, write these down. Go back and look at them for yourself. If you're, if you're not sure where you stand on this, or if you're still trying to decide, or even if you want to just examine them for yourself, write these down. Go look at them yourself and examine them. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore... He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For the first thing we see is it says, listen, because Jesus Christ intercedes for us, it says that he will save us forever. Forever. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge to your inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The ancient seal was both a secure guarantee and a mark of ownership. And he says, listen, once you become a Christian, you are sealed. You are guaranteed to be saved. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. And for these verses I always added, except for ourselves. We could take ourselves out of this. But that's not what it says. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You were sealed for the day of redemption. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Until when? Until the day of Christ Jesus. Until I sin? That's not what it says. It says until the day of Christ Jesus. Till the coming of our Lord Jesus. First Peter. Verses, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Now, check this one out. John, chapter 6, verse 37 through 40 says, And all those that the Father gives me, Jesus is speaking, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, this is it. Don't miss this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. I shall lose none of those who have, he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks for everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him who truly becomes a Christian shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. How many will He lose? None. Zero. He will lose none. That is the will of the Father. Of all those that were given to him. First John 2, 18 and 19 says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that this is the last hour. They, hold on, this is the wrong part here. I'm getting ahead of myself. 
So this brings us to today's message. I'll get back to that verse. Today's scripture, Jude 24 and 25. Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling or to apostatize or to walk away and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Able to keep you from falling. So why do we struggle with that? Why did I struggle so much with the idea that God would seal his believers, that God would keep his believers for eternity? Why did I struggle with that so much? Isn't it one of the most wonderful doctrines out there to think that if you truly accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he will keep you for eternity? That there is nothing in this life that will take you away from him? Why do we struggle with that? Why is that so hard for us to follow? Is it because we've all seen these people? We've all seen these people who make professions of faith. They get baptized. Some of them even become preachers and teachers. They seem to be on fire for God, and then one day they're just gone. One day they just stop coming to church. And we struggle with the idea. It's like I knew them. I saw them. I sat under their ministry. I listened to what they had to say. They were, they were great men and women of God, and then they just walked away. They must have lost their salvation. I heard them speaking in tongues one day. You know, Paul had this happen to him. Demas was called a fellow worker in, in Philemon 124. He was also mentioned by Paul in Colossians 4.14. But then in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says that he left him because he loved this world. He walked away from Paul. He walked away from the things of God. And, and, and mind you, we don't know if Demas ever came back. We don't know that because it, it's never mentioned. Demas is never mentioned again. But he walked away from Paul. And Paul said he walked away because he loved this world more than he loved the things of God. But I saw them. Their faith had to be real. I saw them do things. I saw them pray. I saw them pray over people. I saw them read their Bibles. It had to be real. But see, this is the thing. John gives us the answer. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, which is where I started a minute ago. Children. It is the last hour, and just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But listen to this. You want to know why these people come in? 
They do what they do, and then one day they walk away. He says, from this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. You want to know why they walked away? John says it's because they were never Christians. John says the reason that they walked away from the faith is because they really never believed. They went through the motions. They did the things that everybody, they did what everybody else was doing because they wanted to be a part of the crowd. And when they got tired of it, they moved on to the next thing. John says, listen, they went out, and the reason they went out is so we would understand that they never were a part of us in the first place. They never were. And why? Why the struggle? The whole book of Jude is about people pretending to be Christians. The whole book of Jude is about people pretending to be Christians. (coughs) second corinthians 11 13 through 15 says for such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of christ no wonder for even satan disguises himself as an angel of light therefore it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Hmm. Paul says, listen, there are lots of people who pretend to be Christians. We've looked for the past 11 lessons of Jude, and Jude talking about those who pretend to be Christians because it's beneficial for them, financially speaking. By the word, the word translated keep that we just seen there in Jude, in verse 24, it's a military word. Now the word keep doesn't mean to possess, but the word keep here means to guard. It means to watch over. He said, God is able to watch over us to keep us from falling away from him. He is able to watch over us to protect us from apostatizing from our faith. He is able to keep us from stumbling. So here's the question. Will we ever stop sinning? Will we ever stop sinning? Well, the more mature you become, the less you will sin. But here's the catch to that. You're going to feel worse about it. You're going to sin less. You're going to feel worse. Because we finally realize how wretched we really are. As you mature, you should be sinning less. But as you mature, you also realize what that sin does. You sin less, you feel worse. Congratulations. (laughs) and then he says 
that he will present you faultless. He will present you faultless. You know, the best indication of a true saving faith is one who endures to the end. Matthew 24, 13 says, But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That's the best way to tell if a person was a Christian, is did they make it to the end? And he says that one day the true believer will stand in the presence of his glory. Today we stand in his grace. One day we will stand in his glory. I love that. You see, for fallen man to stand in the presence of God's glory will produce absolute terror. Isaiah cursed himself in Isaiah 6, 5. Ezekiel fell down like a dead person in Ezekiel 1, 28. Peter, James, and John were terrified at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5 through 7. The apostle John fainted like a dead man. In Revelations 1.17, that's how fallen man reacts in the presence of God. With sheer fear and utter terror. That's how you would react if God ever came to you in the presence. <coughs> I heard this moron the other day talking about God visiting him. And he talked so flippantly about how God had visited him. I asked God this, and I told this, God this, and I placed my hand upon Jesus to comfort him. I thought, what an idiot. I did. I thought, what a moron. I've read nowhere in Scripture where anybody reacted any other way than sheer terror. And you're going to tell me that you're greater than all those in the Bible who when they came into the presence of God fell down as though they were dead. If you were ever to be in the presence of God, you would feel the full weight of your sinfulness. You would feel the full weight of of your dirtiness. Luke chapter 5 and verse 8 says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I am not even worthy to be in your presence. You see, we must be blameless in order to stand in the presence of God. We must be blameless but he said we will stand before him with exceeding great joy there is nothing unholy that will enter that land revelations 21 27 says and nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life With exceeding great joy, we will stand in the presence of God's glory. Revelations 22, verses 3 through 5, says, No longer will there be any curse. Why wouldn't you stand with exceeding great joy? 
There will be no curse. The throne of God of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Why would you not have exceeding joy for that? Verse 25, let's read that one more time. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Glory. This speaks of all of his divine attributes in all of their power and radiance. Majesty of his absolute reign. Might, uh, dominion, his might and rule over everything. Authority, his divine right to do his will. You see, these are gods throughout eternity. Before all time, now and forever. Eternity past, present time and eternity future. Glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. You know, I've been thinking about it. And I guess the greatest struggle I had with this thought of eternal security of the saints was pride. Because I hate to be wrong. I've I've struggled with this for a while. I really have. And I've mentioned a few times in the past that I was kind of leaning more towards it was a little harder to lose your faith than I thought it was before. But it was always pride because I hate being wrong. I hate it. But when I'm wrong, I admit that I'm wrong. And through this, and and believe me, I have studied this and I have studied this and I have read this and I have studied this and I have prayed about this and I believe that my struggle was unwarranted I believe scripture teaches very clearly that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he keeps you if I had to keep myself I'd already be gone if I had to hold myself I would be gone I couldn't save myself. I can't keep myself. And I thank God that I have a Savior who promised me that he will not lose a single one of his believers. None of them. Now, next week, I am planning on starting Revelations. And I'm going to tell you, I struggled with going into Revelations, and I'll tell you why. Here a couple of weeks ago, I was at the gym, and I ran into Orrin Alcorn. And I was standing there talking to Orrin, and, and uh, he was telling me that he was having a struggle with a Bible study that he had had. And he said, he said, we're reading the part where Jesus tells us that we're not to show favoritism. When somebody comes into the church, we don't show favoritism. That we don't give them the, the high seat. We don't give them the best seat in the house just because they're wealthy. 
And he said, and, and my struggle is this. He said, I, he said, we show favoritism all the time. He said, when we choose friends, we show favoritism. He said, we chose those friends over all the other people around us, and so we showed them favoritism. He said, I don't understand. He said, Jesus showed favoritism. He said, he had the 12. And then of the 12, he had his inner circle. He said, he showed favoritism. I don't, he said, I don't, I'm struggling with this whole idea of not showing favoritism when we obviously show favoritism all the time. And I, I told him, I said, well, but don't you think the difference is this, is when you show favoritism to somebody wealthy who walks in the doors because you think it's going to do something for you. It's selfish. I said, but when you show favoritism to a friend, it's because they do something for you and you do something for them. He's like, I never thought about that. He said, so, he said, where are you at? And I said, well, I said, we're just about finished with the book of Jude. And he goes, ooh. I said, yeah, it's been tough. I said, it's been a long, been a long book. I said, I was surprised at how many lessons we found in there. I said, and then we're planning on going to Revelation. He goes, oh. He said, I've never preached Revelations, ever. I said, really? He said, never. He said, I don't believe revelations should be, te- should be preached. He said, I believe it should be taught. And I was like, uh. and I And I, I told Melissa, I said, you know, I said, but this is the thing. I said, this is my struggle in the whole thing. I said, revelations teaches us that through the study of revelations, we will be blessed. And I said, there are many in my Sunday morning church services that are not able to make it to any other services. They're not there Sunday night. They're not there Wednesday night. I said, so do I just exclude those that are unable to make those services by not teaching revelations on Sunday morning? And Jay had expressed his desire. He's like, man, I, I, I really like to have a Bible study so we can discuss, so we can talk about it, so we can get into it. And so I told my wife, I said, you know what? I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a revelation saturation. She said, a what? I said, a revelation saturation. I said, Sunday morning, I'm going to preach revelations for those who are unable to be at the other services. I said, and then on Wednesday night, when we finish Hebrews, we're going to take off with revelation again. I said, that way we can sit down and we can discuss and we can talk. And we can, because I promise you, Anybody who's never studied the book of Revelations, wow. I mean, literally, the first time we went through the book of Revelations, we would have three or four commentaries laying side by side, opened up to one scripture, and all four of them would have a different idea on one scripture. So, for those of you who will only be here on Sunday mornings, you're going to get my ideas and my thoughts and my views. And I promise you, I don't take that flippantly. I will study. I will do my best. But a lot of it's still my ideas and my opinions. But for those who are able to be there on a Wednesday night, there's a lot of wise people in there who see things a little different than I do at times. And they will bring up and they will talk about it and we will look it up and we will discuss it and we will get in deep. And if you plan on being Sunday morning and Wednesday night, take notes when I'm preaching so you can correct me when we do Wednesday nights. (laughs) 
But that's my plan. That's my plan is to try to do that um, because I really, really want to do Revelation. I want the whole church to be blessed by the book of Revelation, and that's the only way I can figure out how to do it. So pray for me because this is going to be tough. Revelation is going to be a tough book. I've never in my 20 years of preaching preached Revelation. So, so please stand to your feet. We'll get through it one way or another, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yes. Oh, I, you're right. You're right. I'm, go ahead and sit down. I forgot. Thank you, Butch. As soon as he raised his hand, I remembered we got to take up our offering this morning. I need the bags. Are they back here? Dominic, you want to come help me? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity uh, to give to the Pitsons. And God, we pray that you would use this money, God, to further Uh, their borders. We pray that you would continue to use them to change lives. We pray you open doors, God, that uh, these men and women, Father, who are at the end of their rope, who have hit bottom, I pray that the pits are able to reach them and to, to change their lives through this ministry. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. And Father, bless those that are able to give this morning. We ask all those things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. Take that and grab Russell up there. All right, now you can stand to your feet. Yes. Amen. Father, we thank you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for opening your word to those who desire to have it open to them. God, many times uh, the reason we don't is, to be quite honest, it's just because we're lazy. And God, I'm, I'm the, the worst of the worst, Father. And Many times if we would just open your word and ask, God, you will give it to us. And God, I thank you that you have showed me what you showed me. And I pray that I was clear today in my teaching. I pray that, God, you showed all of us something today. And, God, for those who have always believed this way, that they just it confirmed what they believe. God, for those who believe the other way, I, I pray that it's challenged them, God, if nothing else, that they will dig deep and, and make sure they are, are 
true to what they believe, God, that they find the scripture they need, that they, they find the foundation they need. But I pray that they've been challenged. And for those that are undecided, God, I pray that they get in deep and make their own decisions, make their own um, understanding of your scripture, God. And we know there's only one truth, God, and we just pray that's revealed to us, and we thank you for that. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, I pray that you go with us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their willingness to come and to learn and to listen. And we thank you for that. And help us to go out and apply these lessons to our life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.